This is the Journal of Ecology podcast. I'm Scott Chamberlain. This is an interview that's part of a series of interviews I conducted at the British Ecological Society meeting in Birmingham in December 2012. In this podcast, I chat with Kyle Dexter about his research presented at the meeting. His title was Niche Evolution in South American Trees. Yeah, my name is uh, Kyle Dexter. Right now I'm an NSF, uh, National Science Foundation uh, International Fellow, so funded by the US uh, NSF. And I'm part-time Royal Botanic Garden Edinburgh and part-time University of Leeds. So my uh, background and sort of the main research I focus on is evolutionary ecology of tropical trees, uh, focusing on tropical forests. And the main research I do now is trying to understand how forests are going to deal with climate change by looking at how they've dealt with climatic change in the past. Okay, so what problem was your study trying to solve or what motivated your study? So the big motivator for our study is probably uh, the future impacts that tropical forests are gonna face. And we're focusing on lowland tropical South America. So this region uh, likely is gonna experience a lot of deforestation and a lot of climate change. And so particularly with regards to the climate perspective, we're trying to understand how different clades of trees, so focusing on woody plants, have adapted to different climates in the past. So the the main approach is to take a comparative uh, study and to look at rainforests and dry forests and savannas and try to understand how lineages of plants have switched between these different biomes, as we call them, in the past and what that may mean for the future. So so in brief, could you describe the approach um, that you took to address the problem? So the, it's very much an ongoing study, but what we're doing right now is uh, we first have to figure out what environment species occur in before we can understand how they've adapted to climate in the past. And so this isn't like Europe or North America where you can just pick up a guide and figure out where species occur. So a big part of the project is synthesizing plot data from across lowland tropical South America from set up by many different investigators. And we have to standardize the taxonomy, and then we collect environmental data from those sites so be it climate data or soil data and that type of data, to try to quantify the environmental niche of different species in different taxa. And then once we've done that, then we're making phylogenies for these groups to try to examine the relationships of different species. Do close relatives occur in very different environments? Maybe they occur in different rainfall environments, but not different temperature environments. And so that's the, uh, the approach we're taking. Have you had problems building the phylogenies? Have they been molecular-based? Have they been Yeah, they will, they will be molecular-based. And, uh, and the main problems we face are actually more uh, logistical. And mm-hmm. so that's just getting the permissions to export genetic samples right. from a lot of the countries we're working in. And then beyond that, uh, the work is going fine. There's a lot of data available already on GenBank, which mm-hmm. is a sort of online depository for DNA sequences. And so we're getting a lot of data from there. There we have to be... Uh, concerned about quality control mm-hmm. because people put up sequences of what and they give a period of identification for the species that they've sampled but they're not always right and so trying to do careful vetting of currently available data and then figuring out where we need to add in right. so that's what we're doing right now so if you could sum up your sort of main findings that you're you're willing to share with us um, and a few bullet points what would they be well, I'd be happy to share main findings. I can say uh, that there aren't many yet, so we're in year <laughs> one of this project, right. and it's a, it's a three-year funding horizon for the, uh, the main project. And even that, I mean, we propose something that's basically impossible to do in three years, but I mm-hmm. think 
we're going to generate enough data that the uh, the funders were excited about it. So I guess what I could say is that uh, we've learned that there's a lot of issues with this taxonomic standardization, so that's taking a lot of time. Uh, but we do find, we're finding certain clades, so just taking a taxonomic approach because we don't have the phylogenetic data in yet, but we find clades are quite variable in their environmental plasticity. So you have some clades that are restricted entirely to dry forests or entirely to rainforests, and then you have other groups like, uh, say, a genus or a family that are confined to a, a very different environment, or other groups that can occur across a range of environmental conditions. Mm -hmm. For example, the leguminosae, which is the pea family, which is one of the families we're really focusing on heavily, um, seems to be able to occur in almost any environment uh, we sample. And so that would suggest that maybe this family is particularly uh, adaptive uh, to two different environments. So this, it seems like this study is still definitely ongoing. Um, what, are, what are your plans for the next, um, the next couple of years on this project? So uh, uh, a big, so when we wrote this grant proposal, we talked about uh, looking at how lineages have adapted to climatic change in the past, and we sort of loosely connected it to climate change. And many people want to connect it to climate change in the sense that you can see certain clades have been quite uh, evolutionarily labile, been able to adapt to many different environments, whereas other clades haven't. And so they want to connect out to the future and say that these clades will do particularly well in the future. But the uh, temporal scales are quite different. So the uh, time scale of adaptation over evolutionary history is on the, on the order of millions of years, whereas climate change is happening on the order of dozens of years. And so to really connect those two, I think we'll, we'll need to do some experimental approaches or something like that uh, in a future project to see if there actually is a, uh, a correlation between lineages that have demonstrated uh, high evolutionary liability in the past and those that can deal with uh, climate change in the future. So why do you think this research is important? So I think, uh, again, as I mentioned before, the, the funders were keen to fund it even though uh, the full ambition of the project uh, may not be realized within the three-year time frame. But uh, it's the getting these uh, distribution maps and understanding the distribution of species across uh, a con at an almost continental level, and that data is going to be made publicly available. And so I think that's going to facilitate a lot of future research. I think the phylogenies we generate will be useful to a lot of people as well. And then beyond that, one of our uh, main goals is to, once we know the composition of a bunch of different uh, communities, the different forest communities, the species that are found there, and once we have phylogenies, we can actually make maps of where evolutionary diversity is concentrated. And so there's been some, some work done like this in the past. You can make a map of what's called alpha diversity, which is the diversity of species in one point, mm -hmm. and you can make a map of a, a region or a continent and figure out which areas have the most species, which you might want to focus on for conservation. But there's not a lot of interest in conserving what's called phylogenetic diversity or evolutionary diversity uh, as well. So what communities are comprised of particularly distinct or rare lineages that aren't found elsewhere? And we might want to focus on conserving those communities as well. So one of the main outputs of this project is to make a phylogenetic diversity map for lowland tropical South America so we can see where evolutionary diversity is concentrated as well as species diversity. So, so you mentioned um, making the data publicly available. Mm -hmm. uh, that seems that seems rather unusual in this. Uh, it seems like most people, you know, when you get a big grant, you sort of hang on to the data and then you publish all your papers and then you maybe let the data go. So, what 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 
what drove that decision? Well, the sequence data, uh, the way publications uh, generally work now, you have to right, right. Uh, make your sequence data publicly available. So, so but that, like the plot level data? Yeah, the plot level data, it's really challenging because uh, sort of one of our main sources of data is a group called Rainfor based at University of Leeds. Mm -hmm. And they have a lot of colleagues across uh, Bolivia and Peru and Brazil. And so they have pretty tight data sharing uh, arrangements mm -hmm. where people agree to give them data on the uh, basis that it's not going to be shared. Mm -hmm. But we're trying to constantly negotiating with them and it's part of our grant. It stipulates that we will make this data publicly available. Mm -hmm. And so that's a, an output of the grant that nice. we, uh, we want to stick to. And so it's just a fairly political kind of thing to have to deal with. And, but most people seem to be on board with sharing their data, and especially once they've had several publications. We're using the argument that once you've had several publications out on it, it should be publicly available. And I think ecology in general is moving towards uh, mandating, right. uh, making the data available when you publish a paper. So right. we should have uh, leverage right. to make that happen. Right, well, thanks for doing the interview. Sure, yep. I have been speaking with Kyle Dexter of the University of Leeds and the Royal Botanic Garden of Edinburgh. For the Journal of Ecology podcast, I'm Scott Chamberlain. Mm -hmm.